Hello and welcome to another episode of In Hushed Tones Podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Yanity. On this week's episode, I sit down with Ryan Andreasi and we talk all about fertility and the importance of charting your cycle. Ryan works as a counselor for a pregnancy resource center. Ryan became passionate about fertility awareness methods after she learned about her own reproductive health and cycle. Ryan is finishing up her certification to become a FAM fertility awareness method instructor in the FEM method. She hopes to shatter the stigma and myths about fertility awareness and empower women by helping them learn to chart their cycle. Let's dive in. I am studying the FEM method of fertility awareness. So it's just another method of um, fertility awareness-based methods. It's another way of charting your cycle. I did a year-long program with them that's coming up to a close in October. So I'm just kind of, you know, doing the last finishing touches for my certification. What, so what is FEM? Can you explain what exactly that is? So, yeah, so FEM, um, FEM is an acronym. So it's F-E-M-M. It stands for uh, Fertility Education and Medical Management. So you have different like fertility awareness-based methods, right? That's an umbrella term. There's different methods you could do like uh, Creighton, Marquette, Billings. There's just so many ways of, of tracking your cycles. So FEM is just one of those newer methods. With FEM, basically you track um, cervical fluid and then LH hormone testing during your cycle to determine um, ovulation. Is that the same hormone that determines whether or not you're pregnant or no. So, so that's different. So, um, the pregnancy hormone is, um, HCG. So there's different pregnancy tests that measure HCG. Um, so these tests are called LH tests. Um, how did you get into all of this? Um, so it's a, uh, it's kind of a long story. <laughs> I'm Catholic. I've been to Catholic school my whole life, including college. I picked a Catholic liberal arts college to go to. So kind of in the back of my mind, you know, when you get married in the Catholic church, you understand that you'll be learning, um, you know, NFP in marriage, which stands for natural family planning. That's just basically like the, I, I, I call it the more religious way of um, saying fertility awareness-based method. Um, so anywho, so I knew in the back of my mind, eventually I'd have to learn NFP. Basically, I just need to learn how to chart my cycles. But typically, that's not something you have to do as a Catholic until you're engaged. And then when you're engaged, that's when you start learning. But one of my college roommates was just fascinated <laughs> with charting her cycles. And she wasn't even dating anybody. And I just remember cringing anytime she said, like, mucus, like, just, oh, like, how can you, ugh. And I was just like, I just hate it when you say that word. I can't say that word. But she swore up and down, like, this is so important for us to learn about our bodies. Um, and it gives a picture of your overall health. And I was just like, yeah. But then, you know, as, as me and my college roommates moved on, the more we started talking, the more, you know, people got into relationships, got married. They were all talking about these symptoms. You know, they were trying to get pregnant, couldn't get pregnant. Um, and so a few of them actually learned that they had conditions like endometriosis mm-hmm. and, and, you know, um, PCOS, hormonal imbalances, um, things that were either 
um, making it harder or impossible even, you know, unfortunately for them to get pregnant, have kids, or even one of my friends was just having some major hormonal issues that were resulting in other health issues like weight gain and stuff like that. So lo and behold, as they're, you know, we're having a conversation one day, they're talking about these, these symptoms that they're having, like, oh, like I have a lot of like dark hair growing on my chin, like facial hair. And that shows I have increased testosterone and, and all this stuff, um, really bad PMS symptoms. And I'm just like, oh, this is sounding kind of familiar. This is sounding a little bit more personal. Um, I didn't really want to admit it at the time. Um, but I ended up moving out here um, to Indiana and I, we have a really good hospital in town, um, that does classes where you can go and learn the basics of charting, um, learning about the hormones and how they all relate. And, um, the big thing was it could help in diagnosing, um, hormonal imbalances. And so I decided to go to this class at the local hospital and, um, talk with my teacher and in the process of me charting my cycles, um, she said, yeah, you know, you should talk to the doctor here and get some blood work done. So I ended up meeting with this doctor and got my um, reproductive hormones checked out. And it did turn out that I had um, a mild progesterone deficiency um, wow. and a potential, potential imbalance with my LH and FSH ratio. Um, we tried to fix that with medication, um, but it ended up making things worse for me. So, um, so, you know, on top of being, you know, getting the right medication to help balance out my hormones, as well as changing some lifestyle things like exercising more, eating better. Um, you know, I have a more healthy cycle at this point and I felt more in balance as well. Um, so that's my Ted talk about how I <laughs> be interested in fertility awareness methods. Uh, how did understanding your cycle transform or change the way that you see your overall reproductive health or then maybe the, even the necessity of understanding reproductive health? Right. So I think for me, you know, like I said, I grew up in this, in this faith and in this, it's really like a culture, honestly, um, where you learn about your cycle just for the purposes of family planning. And obviously we're talking about the reproductive system. So when we talk about reproduction, that's relevant. Um, but the part that I, I guess didn't comprehend until I had to go through it was that, you know, I was, I was taking these classes and I wasn't engaged. I wasn't married. I was just seeking out this information for my health because I would get, um, really bad PMS symptoms. And I noticed that, you know, darker hair on my face where I was like, oh, that's, that's a little weird. Um, and just after taking like a simple, like, you know, it's, it's basically Prometrium. It's, it's bioidentical. Um, progesterone is the medication that I take. Um, I take it 10 times out of my cycle. And even just doing that, I noticed that I'm not as emotional. I'm not as depressed. Um, it, it just was really life-changing. I didn't feel as much of like, I was dealing with like a big emotional crash in terms of like PMS symptoms, which is causing depression and just taking a simple, you know, medication 10 days out of, you know, a 30 day cycle or whatever, um, you know, made the big difference. And it is just fascinating to me that I learned so much about my body in that process. And, you know, your hormones 
you know, the reproductive hormones are part of this overall endocrine system, right? And our endocrine system is responsible for so many functions, you know, whether it's sleep, whether it's, you know, hunger, whether it's sexual drive, you know, it's, it's all connected though. And so just realizing that, you know, my reproductive hormones affected depression, that was just super mm. intriguing to me. I didn't know it, that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And so I just think it's such a, it's, it's so, um, it's just a disservice to women that, that you're right. We don't, for some reason, you know, as we learn, as we do sex ed, as we learn about like our periods and stuff like that, why don't we have the full picture? And so I just wanted to be part of the change to kind of bring about that overall, just, just contribute to a more holistic health, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think I think that holistic health is something that we we miss. We either uh, paint it as something as not necessary, um, or shameful, or I mean, there's like this duality in our culture that's like where sex is on display but also hidden at the same time, and then like our reproductive health, which is part of all all of life, right. is essential for all. I've met with so many couples already and I'm just getting started, right? Like I've just been student teaching and I've already met with couples who were engaged in the process of planning their weddings and just the, the, the chaos that comes with planning a wedding on top of, you know, going to work every day or still being in college or all of that. And then trying to also somehow compartmentalize your focus on, you know, learning how to chart. Um, I mean, that's, that's one of the things I want to be really honest about when it comes to charting and fertility awareness methods, where it's not necessarily all like butterflies and rainbows is that it does take a lot of time and attention when you're first learning. Um, and if you don't have like the mental capacity, the emotional capacity to do that, um, I, I just feel like that's also kind of a disservice in, you know, in my particular church, um, is that, you know, women deserve to know about their bodies earlier, just because it's a part of your overall health. Um, and I just feel like that's, that's where we tend, tend to lose people is when we're trying to teach them about this very intricate system amongst wedding planning, work, school, dealing with family demands and in-laws and then getting married and then trying to, you know, get used to married life. And then sometimes we have, you know, oops, babies, when that happens, because maybe <laughs> we weren't paying attention or missed something with charting or misunderstood something with charting, um, you know, that we could have done earlier in, you know, when they weren't necessarily like at that point in their life yet. Um, and I don't know if that all makes sense, but I, I just think it's something where overall, whether you're learning it from religious background, whether you're just learning it, you know, as a lay person or whatever it might be, like people deserve, women deserve to learn about their bodies, um, you know, much, much earlier before we're in the middle of like, you know, wedding planning and, and thinking about babies and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, well, one, one, another thing I was wondering about was, um, what do you think is like the biggest misunderstanding in terms of like how women understand or learn about their cycles? Like when we talk about cycles, sometimes like menstrual cycle pops up mm -hmm. and people, that's just like one part of our cycle. 
what do you think is like the biggest um, piece of, I guess, miseducation or, or confusion that's, or misinformation that's out there? Mm -hmm. Yes. And I love, I love this question. And this is why I, part of why I chose um, FEM specifically to be the method that I was, um, that I learned about and got certified in. Um, so FEM is really big on, on teaching us that the main event that you should look for in your cycle is actually ovulation. Hmm. So ovulation is the key that shows us that all the hormones, the four main hormones that we look at when we're looking at the cycle um, that are involved in your cycle, um, if you're ovulating, that's really promising. And that shows that your hormone health is where it needs to be. Um, you know, you can have a, a period or it looks like a period, but not have a healthy cycle. Um, or, you know, you could have a period, but it doesn't mean that like you ovulated. So I think we get so hyper-focused on menstruation. Um, and while menstruation and healthy menstruation is a sign again, that your hormones have, you know, been where they need to be. That's only a small factor. You know, we can only come to that conclusion if all the other phases of your cycle have, you know, been healthy and met, you know, kind of adequate criteria that we look at in FEM. So I would say the main thing that you should be looking for is, am I ovulating? And if I'm not ovulating, we need to do something about that because that means that your hormones are out of whack somewhere. And ovulation is only one day, right? Or can it last longer? Um, so ovulation, just the, so the event of ovulation is when the follicle releases the egg into the fallopian tube, right? It's pretty hard to narrow down the exact moment that happens. There's no method that can tell you exactly at what moment that happens, unless you were to happen to like get like a, a, a vaginal ultrasound at that time. Interesting. What we can do and what charting is really good for is we can narrow down and pinpoint it to a certain window of time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of methods, cervical fluid and certain qualities of that cervical fluid help us to know what, what shows us we're producing the most estrogen. When there's high estrogen, um, that's a good indicator that ovulation is gonna follow. So we look for something called like a peak day. And then within three days, either side of that peak day, a woman ovulates, which that gives you like six days, right? So that, right. you know, that's good, but it doesn't narrow it down maybe as far enough as we could get it. So with FEM, what we also do is combine it with the LH tests. Um, so what happens each cycle is once, you know, you're having that cervical fluid, um, the high estrogen cervical fluid, there's a no, another hormone that follows LH. Once you have an LH, a positive LH test, then you can be assured that ovulation will happen in about 24 to 36 hours after you get a positive LH test. So we can at least narrow it down to like about a day, day and a half after a positive LH test. Wow. That's pretty fast though. I think mm -hmm. you can narrow things down from, from that test, from one single test. So we have a fertile window and then we have non, because I think another misconception is we, that we don't have any fertile 
we have fertile window, but then we, most people, I think, and I didn't know this until I was, I'll admit until I was in my thirties, um, that we have non-fertile days. Can you explain what the difference is? I mean, it seems pretty obvious what fertile and non-fertile is, but like when you're trying to track, um, when you can actually get pregnant versus not getting pregnant. So the biggest misconception that I've heard out there in terms of when someone can get pregnant, by the way, is, uh, you know, that, oh, you can get pregnant anytime in your cycle. You know, it's just some days are more likely than others. And that's not necessarily true. Um, so you're right. There are certain days during the cycle where, you know, a woman, a woman is just not fertile all the time. She's just not men. They are fertile all the time. So, <laughs> but women actually are not fertile all the time. Um, so you're right. Women, we have like what's called an ovulatory window and that's like an approximated time of, you know, somewhere in there we are fertile and could get pregnant. Um, so when a woman has, so, so going back to what I was talking about, so women each cycle, typically towards the middle of their cycle, they have that, um, they experience some sort of like cervical fluid, some sort of, um, like clearish fluid that they experience when they're going to the bathroom and wiping and stuff like that. So that's an indicator that the woman is fertile, but anytime that she is dry, where there isn't any of that extra fluid around, um, those are what we call dry days and women are not fertile at that time. Um, so basically for a woman to be fertile, she needs to be producing that cervical fluid. So that way when sperm are present, that fluid helps sperm to survive and actually have a pathway up to the egg to try to fertilize it. Um, but if that environment is not there, so if a woman doesn't have that fluid, you know, if she were to have sex, that sperm doesn't have anything to nourish it. So sperm will mm. actually die minutes to hours after intercourse. So interesting. Hmm. So it's that it, the vital piece is like the, is that, that fluid Mm -hmm. And, and then that's during that's released during ovulation or that, or that fertile window you were talking about during the fertile window. Okay. Interesting. Um, what are the other, there are how many parts of our cycle do we have? We have menstruation, ovulation. What are the other pieces? Um, so for my training in FEM, we look at, a few different phases of the cycle. So, um, so one way that I can explain it is we have the pre-ovulatory phase. So that is from the first day of a woman's period until the last, you know, dry day is what we say that she has. So like you have her period and then she should have a few days of um, where she experiences dryness. So we call that the pre-ovulatory um, section. And then you have the ovulatory phase, which is all those days she's experiencing that cervical fluid. And then we count three days past, you know, the last day she experienced the cervical fluid just to account for um, potential ovulation. And then all the days after that until her next period is her post-ovulatory window. Going back to what you said earlier, um, what happens if we don't ovulate? Is that an indicator of a larger problem? My instinct says menopause, but then there could be other things that keep us from ovulating regular, regularly, right? 
Right. So there are some instances where it's actually, you know, healthy to like not be ovulating or like it's normal and expected. So you just pointed out, you know, a woman who maybe is going through premenopause, um, she could have gradually, um, you know, cycles where she's not ovulating until eventually she's no longer fertile. Um, breastfeeding women, you know, if they are actively breastfeeding, then actually um, prolactin released during breastfeeding um, suppresses estrogen. And that means that she is not going to ovulate. So it's kind of like, kind of what they call like natural birth control in a sense. Um, <laughs> never knew never that. Like, <laughs> you definitely want to keep like an eye on it though, because eventually the estrogen is going to win over the prolactin. And so if you're banking on using NFP, to kind of space out your pregnancies, but you're breastfeeding, I would highly encourage working with an instructor just to kind of watch for that ovulation to come back. But anywho, that was a that was a, a side disclaimer. Um, but yeah, otherwise, like if you are a woman who is in her what we call like almost like her um, uh, peak adult like fertile phase in life. Um, then if you are consistently not ovulating, that is an issue. Sometimes, you know, women, like if they have like a cycle where maybe they didn't ovulate, we look for factors like, did she start a new medication that her body's just getting used to? Was she under a lot of stress? Um, what about even like physical stress? Was there like a, um, like a marathon or something that she ran or was training for, you know, things like that. So we look for like, um, you know, more like less serious reasons for why women might not ovulate, like on a random cycle. But if it's something that we're consistently seeing, and there's there's lots of signs that we can look at with the chart that kind of help us, you know, red flags that we look for, then that is something that we definitely would recommend. You know, that women go see, um, you know, a medical professional to evaluate her hormone levels. Hmm, that's really important to consider. When is a there, I know that the understanding is 35, like usually around 35, that fertility starts to decline or it, there's like, a, your egg supplier is like half cut in half, or is that true? Or is that another myth? Oh, goodness. I mean, definitely, you know, the older that we as women get the, the less fertility that we experience, but women experience it, at least in my, in my personal experience working with women, um, it really just varies on your age. I think that from what I've been seeing is that, you know, because our healthcare has, you know, gotten to be so excellent, you know, compared to like over a, a span of time throughout history, you know, women tend to be a bit more fertile later on, but yeah, like there, there does get to be a certain point where, um, you know, as women, our fertility starts to slow down or we don't tend to have, be able to be as successful, like, you know, at getting pregnant right away and things like that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's accurate, but I've seen I've seen just so many different examples of, of women in various ages, people that are younger that for some reason they, they, their bodies just can't get pregnant anymore. And then women that are in their like forties and, you know, then they're pregnant with, with another baby. So it really just varies. It really depends. Would you say it's multiple factors working at once, like your genetics and your health and 
how physically active you are and all these things, or I suppose what's also impacting whether we're ovulating or if our menstruals are menstrual cycles are regular, or I think all these things are interplaying, interplaying, but I'm not, of course, I'm not the expert. That would be you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I would call myself an expert. I'm trying really hard to be one though. Um, but um, yeah, so exactly, exactly what you're saying. All those factors play a role. Um, or, you know, if, if someone, if a woman's had like maybe underlying health issues for, you know, however many years, if it's like some sort of chronic condition that could potentially play a role and stuff like that. So yeah, all those factors that you said, and then a few more would definitely play a role in, in how long she, her fertility is, is healthy for. Hmm. What do you think our society overall is missing when we don't look at our like fertility or overall reproductive women's reproductive health? The thing that comes to mind is, you know, a, a big thing is like women with family planning, right? And I feel like with a lot of women, you know, birth control is such, it is, it, it's just the thing that you do in our culture, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, when you're a teenager, whether you're sexually active or not, um, whether your parents suspect you're sexually active and just want to be like preventative, um, or if you're just having really painful periods, you know, the first thing that doctors will say is, you know, go on birth control. And I just want to make it very clear that I'm not here to be like the birth control police or anything like that, you know, like birth control definitely has its, its place and its role. Um, but my personal opinion, I would venture to say sometimes that it is, it is too overprescribed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, you know, when, when our young teenagers are starting to, you know, get their periods and they're starting to meet boys and everything, we're just quick to, you know, put them on a birth control pill or tell them to use condoms and stuff like that. And I understand the fear of not having those preventative measures in place. However, I think that that means from a young age, we're doing, we're already starting to do that disservice to our young women, you know, not, not letting them learn about their full cycle. It's more than just like, oh, you got your period. Great. Like, let's give you some, some tampons and pads and, um, oh, by the way, don't get pregnant. We're putting you in a birth control. Um, you know, especially like with our young teenagers, like their reproductive systems, like their whole body really is still maturing. Um, and we don't actually know the full repercussions of what happens if they're on birth control over their teenage years as their body is still maturing, the reproductive, you know, system is still maturing as well as their overall body. And then, you know, the repercussions when then they want to start having kids, when they get married, you know, once they have their career in place and, and stuff like that. I totally understand like, you know, the, the importance of, you know, not, not having our teenagers become moms before they're ready and letting them like get their education and everything. However, there, there needs, there needs to be more of a balance, you know, like fertility awareness methods and fertility awareness isn't just for having babies or not having babies, you know, it is a science. It shows you what a woman, every single woman's overall health looks like. Um, and 
who knows, maybe if women knew about, if, if women, when they get older and they realize they have these reproductive issues, you know, and they're struggling to find methods to get their, their reproductive hormones regulated again, what would happen if they actually had gotten that early intervention when they were, you know, maybe like a teenager, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I think that's right. not the whole picture. Yeah. I think that's a big problem in our society. Like you've mentioned, I think it's overprescribed. I think over prescribed without giving our bodies and our cycles a chance to develop fully. And I think that's one of the biggest, um, issues is, um, and for years, I remember it being promoted to help with acne. And I thought to myself, Mm -hmm. artificial hormones to help with acne when there's other topical creams, there's dermatologists doing that work. Shouldn't the dermatologists be doing that work to help for for skincare that seems a little bit extreme um and so i i think that's that's one of our our um issues that we have is that we don't value the the whole picture right the whole picture of our our reproductive health um and that's something that concerns me a, a lot um because i feel like um when there's a band-aid solution and, and I feel like this happens a lot with, with women is that we don't want to talk about, um, the needs of women, um, and not to be, to me mean to men, but I feel like, like one of my promotional, like when I was promoting, um, this podcast, I said, well, you know, we don't talk about things that women need, but we'll gladly talk about erectile dysfunction medicine, or, you know, it's kind of like, what about, okay, so I understand sexual health from that perspective, but what about things like, you know, helping women have um, healthy children or, or not having like doing preventative measures for like screening cervical cancer or, you know, treating um, PCOS or hormone um, issues. And that, that's what kind of not kind of, but does get to me sometimes because it's like, well, what are we valuing and um, prioritizing in our society? Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think it's, yeah, and especially in terms of like, it does seem to be very heavily focused on women, don't you think? Like, it's definitely like, you know, when we're talking about fertility and either preventing pregnancy or getting pregnant, like all the focus like tends to be on the woman and it's like, okay, yeah, like I, I get it. The women's are the ones that have the uterus. And so if there's a baby, they carry the baby and stuff like that. But again, women are only really fertile, like in a short window of time during like a whole month or sometimes even longer if they happen to have longer cycles whereas men are fertile all the dang time literally all the time and you know women are born with a finite amount of eggs we can't make any more eggs as we get older eventually we can no longer be fertile guys can keep on making sperm you know um (laughs) And so it's just, it's just so, it's just so interesting that, yeah, a lot of like the reproductive talk, you know, the burden tends to fall on the women. And then, you know, for, for the men, it's kind of like a, like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like it's kind of like a, um, like a, almost like a fun taboo topic to like, you know, poke at, but, but I definitely think the responsibility should, you know, 
I, I think that I think that as a society we can do better at, you know, putting the responsibility also like, you know, share it with men and women together. Mm-hmm, absolutely, I think it's a space for mutual sharing, for mutual growing. Um, mutual conversation. The more we have these kind of conversations, I think the more we start to understand each other better. And I, and I, my hope is that our society can like really start to work to, to find better solutions for, you know, so that we can advocate for things like healthcare. Do you have, you have a message or something that you like say your younger self or younger generations, like what, what kind of message would you like to share Oh my, well, (laughs) when we're talking about my younger self, all I can think about is if I were to go back to college, Ryan, and she had the college roommate that, you know, her favorite words seemed to be cervical mucus. And (laughs) that little Ryan was just cringing at like, you know, the word, like if you had told me then that I would be kind of in the business of of this now and can say cervical mucus, just like, you know, flippantly, um, I would have told you that you were freaking crazy. Um, (laughs) But I also feel like this is why I like being in this role because I do come from that area where, you know, it wasn't comfortable to talk about my body growing up. It wasn't comfortable to talk about these things. I was really embarrassed when I got my period when I was, you know, 13 and that, that shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be, that's just health. Um, And so that's why I love doing what I do because for whatever reason, even though it's really cringy, you know, as a teenager to be learning about your body and everything, like it's just your body, it's just your health and it, it matters. Like, you know, some would say that your ovulation is a, a vital sign of your health. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just to say, you know, like your, your bodily health matters, your reproductive health matters because it's a picture of your overall health. Um, and I think that, the, the biggest message that I would love to get out there in the culture, and maybe I'm, you know, preaching to the choir here, but, you know, I, I, I just want people to understand that, like, fertility awareness isn't, you know, like, religious, you know, institutions don't have a monopoly on it, right? right. Like, this is legitimate science. It is legitimate science. You know, every single woman has, you know, a cycle, um, and you know, we just need to take the stigma off of it that it that, you know, fertility awareness is just for religious institutions and for people to have a gazillion babies and stuff. Um, you know, it's it's really not there is a way and, and fertility awareness methods. Yes, like early on, when we were starting to figure things out with fertility awareness, it we had very imperfect practices, and they were not great at like preventing pregnancies when people were trying to family plan, but we've come such a long way now. Um, the science is so much better. The practices are so much better. And I just want people to like, give it a shot. Like, like, even if you're on birth control, if you have an IUD in, but if you want to come see me for, you know, to learn about cycle stuff, like, heck yes, like I will teach you. And, and, you know, we can just get over the stigma. We can just get over the stigma. It's just your body, you know, it's okay. Thank you for listening. If you would like to hear more content like this, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at inhushtones at the same handle. Until next time.